Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 55. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them, but I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to and get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up in all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible. And you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from. You can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible and make your smartphone smarter. Well, it's uh, my privilege and honor to have Steve Miller on the show. He's the founder and president of Millwood Incorporated. It's a provider of industrial pallet and packaging materials and services that include recycling and warehousing. I brought him on the show because he's got an interesting story. At the age of 19, Steve believed that he had a calling from God to go into business, just as a pastor would call somebody into ministry. This belief in the call provided the strength needed during the many struggles of a startup. Millwood's first facility was started in Holmes County, Ohio, at a location where his father's business had been destroyed by a fire. Since then, Millwood has grown to establish itself as a very unique company with over 1,300 team members in 27 facilities throughout the Northeast United States. Steve, along with his partners Chip Treblecock and Ron Ringness, believe that is it is their responsibility to provide the opportunity for growth of each team member in business. I love that. Also, not only in business, but spiritual and family maturity as well, which is very unique for today's business. Millwood has a team of chaplains on staff, which I find amazing to assist in this goal. Millwood also provides camps for the children and invites team members to join them on annual mission trips. He's a volunteer and board member of Equip. You've heard me talk to Dr. John Hull, so that's how I got associated here with Steve. And Steve, thanks for coming on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Thank you for having me. Well, gosh, what an interesting story. Let's start from the start from the beginning. I've never really heard anybody talk about their calling in business was a, a calling from God, just like in the ministry. So talk to me about that. Well, um, I guess uh, early on when I was 19... And, you know, positioning myself to get ready to, uh, to go into business, it was uh, a passion that I had since a young, uh, as a young boy. I, um, you know, had always kind of dreamed of, of having my own business and, and doing my own thing. And um, one of the, you know, so I, I had scriptures, uh, you know, foundational scriptures that, that I had uh, uh, become aware of and kind of gained a revelation that... Um, you know, as many young men do at that age, you know, I was debating between going to college or or going right into business and didn't know what to do and seeking God and, and asking for his wisdom and so forth and really felt like that uh, business was, was my passion and that, uh, in essence, I was called to do that. And if you look at what a pastor does, you know, that receives a calling from God to do what he does, um, 
they're very similar to the callings that are on a business guy. You know, a pastor is is going about every day uh, teaching people and telling people to trust them, telling people to uh, follow them, that they will show them the way. And uh, that's that's what pastors do. And, and business guys are are not too different. You know, we're we're constantly telling our customers to uh, that they can trust us. Come and and we'll guide them in, in the product line that they need for their services and so forth, and and telling our employees and our team members that they can trust us and that we're going to take care of them, and we're going to, uh, you know, be honest and, and uh, they can, you know, cast their lot with us and and, uh, and it'll be good for them and their families. So that's the similarities between the two, uh, the two callings, and, and as you know, uh, you look around the world, in many cases, um, especially in Asia, you see uh, many of the pastors are also businessmen. Yeah. And, you know, those those callings go hand in hand. Uh, and sometimes, you know, it creates a little bit of confusion because uh, businessmen think that uh, all of a sudden because they love God and, and that, you know, they have this passion that they also should be a pastor. And they really need to hear from God on that because I've seen... Uh, Men make uh, men and women make uh, mistakes on both sides, where they, uh, you know, pursue one path when they really belong in the other. So uh, that was kind of the feeling I had when I was 19, and um, you know, believe that uh, uh, leadership is leadership. And and I, uh, one of the things that that uh, as we compare them, I was having a conversation with a uh, a missionary, and we were discussing, you know. The, the benefits or the the demand that is required of them as missionaries that they got to have accountability and and uh, run according to their budgets and so forth and telling him basically that he needs to run his mission more like a business you know the, right. the good business principles and of course I think there's been board members all around the country that uh, or the world that have done that to their pastors or their missions and uh, gotten a little bit of pushback. And I stopped it, you know, as he was giving me some pushback, I said, wait a minute. I said, I'm not asking you to do anything that I don't do. You should run your ministry like a business, and I need to run my business like a ministry. Mm. And, you know, I thought about that for a little bit, and and um, it was a little bit convicting as I was, you know, speaking to him that I also had to judge myself and say, do I truly run my business like a ministry? Do I truly care about my people like I say that I'm going to care about my people? And if so, uh, I should also have measurements in place on the ministry side of my business, of the, on the people side. You know, how are we taking care of our people? How are their families being taken care of? Are their needs being met? And that's really, you know, the thought process that drove us to building a network of um, uh, chaplains uh, to provide that kind of coverage for our facilities you know, around the country. It's amazing. I mean, I'm, I got so many questions. I'm interested to think about uh, or ask you about when you're 19, and obviously you're an entrepreneur, you're a successful entrepreneur. I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs. I've studied entrepreneurship my whole life. You're the first person, I got to admit, and maybe I just haven't been looking, but you're the first one that, that set out that when you were 19 that said that the business was about a calling from God. It wasn't about the callings that I've heard other entrepreneurs say, financial freedom, um, being my own boss, 
Yeah. Um, were those part of your equation in your calling, or was it s- simply almost like a ministry, but you knew that your talents were business? Uh, I mean, yeah, I think uh, everybody, uh, it's not that I wasn't looking forward to uh, financial freedom and uh, and uh, having the perks that go along with that. I mean, that was, that was of course, uh, you know, that's always a part of us, you know, sure. uh, the material side. But... Um, yeah, you know, I I, I think that um, it was it was a passion that um, it was just a, you know really a God given vision that that God helped me to see things from that viewpoint that that helped shape my foundation. Um, you know, knowing that you know business leaders are gifted and uh, just like everybody has different giftings. You know, there's artists and singers and all the different facets of the population, but so when you talk, you know, many times you, you see uh, commercials or so forth, and people make their pitch, and they say, and anybody can do it, <laughs> which is, of course, not true. You know, not everybody is called to be a businessman. Not everybody's called to run their own business. There, there's, there's all the different personalities that are needed in order to make a successful business. But um, the primary purpose that I'm talking about, you know, from a, from a wealth standpoint, from a, uh, uh, on the money, is... I began that the foundational scriptures, one was Luke 6.38, that says, Give, and it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, shall men heap into your bosom, or heap unto you. And, you know, that was one of the scriptures that I began to declare over my business, that that men were going to bring it to me. The good business deals are going to find me. Yes, I'm going to go out and sell and do all the things that I need to do, to generate business, but the best business deals, they're going to find me. And without fail, the, the top customers that we have in our company are all a result of um, word of mouth, people that have called us up and say, hey, can you do this for me? You know, friend of a friend, somebody, somebody contacts us. And, you know, those opportunities can still find their way to us because, you know, we know that, that our purpose is to be givers. You know, that that's one of the requirements of a businessman. You're creating wealth for the kingdom of God. Deuteronomy 8.18 says that, Forget not that it's I that gives you power to gain wealth, that my covenant may be established. And that was, you know, that was the other scripture. And then, of course, of course Malachi 3.10, you know, Bring all the tithes in the storehouse and prove and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings which you can't contain. So... Not in a selfish, you know, way that, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm grabbing a hold of these scriptures to, um, you know, so that I can gain wealth for myself, but it, it really helped me get perspective of why we're in business, why we're creating wealth. Number one reason, you know, God's given us power to gain wealth that we establish this covenant. And if we do that, you know, first, um, then, you know, we're going to have the other things, the, you know, houses, cars, all the other perks, but you got them in priority and you got them in the right perspective. Right. Oh, I like that. Helpful. Let's talk about your leadership development, your philosophy. So here at 19, how did you develop as a leader? Did you, Okay, so you're an entrepreneur. You want to start this business. Did you evolve? Did you already uh, – because I've met a lot of entrepreneurs who really weren't all that great of leaders, and some of them admitted it. You know, They didn't really think about yeah. leadership. They were all – it's all about me, self-starting, it's all myself. You know, and you even look at Steve Steve Jobs' transformation throughout the years, and I, you know, I don't know if I'd want to work for him when he, in those early days of Apple. You know, if you if you read his bio, 
Yeah, yeah. He started out as a terrible leader. Nobody wanted to work. Right. But he did evolve. That's true. So tell me about Um, your evolution. How were you in the beginning? How are in? in, Well, how are you? One of the things. Yeah, one of the things that I helped. You know, I think shaped me and kind of gave me just assist. Gave me the right perspective in, in some things. Was some events that happened when I was a young man. I was 13 years old. Um, seventh grade in junior high school and um, grew up in a, in a family business. Uh, my father owned a sawmill, you know, 30 employees. Um, not not wealthy, but we were probably, you know, well, well off middle income family. Um, like I said, youngest of six, we were always working in the mill uh, as young, uh, you know, as a young boy. And, um, through a series of events, uh, one tragedy after another um, that hit the family during that time. This is 1980, and my uh, oldest, my brother that was uh, a year older than I, was uh, injured on a uh, had got his hand caught in a gang ripsaw in the mill. And um, 40 hours of surgery, they were able to save the hand. My mom was in the hospital for 45 days uh, with my brother. During that time, while she was in the hospital, her um, her mother and her sister both passed away unexpectedly. Wow! But she, my mother was really, you know, just distraught over all of this. Act, you know, what, what's happened, and so she they come home. My brother's recovering, and and uh, her friends tell her, "Hey, we're going to take you on a, a vacation for a week and get away and just have some fun, stay in a hotel, go out to dinner." And get away from all these these things that have been, uh, you know, happened to you. And um, so she did. They went down to North Carolina. And while she's on that trip, she gets a phone call. And um, her friends have to tell her that her oldest son, 21 years old, my oldest brother, was killed in a trucking accident hauling logs for my father. Oh, my gosh. So just extreme devastation. Um, my family goes through that. You know, we're, we're enduring, we're still going on, and about, um, about 18 months later, uh, in the fall, we are, I, I come home from school, and I look across the road from where my, uh, where we grew up, uh, my father's mill, and there's fire trucks everywhere, and so my brother and I drive down there, we get out of the car, and we see what's going on, and the, the mill is completely destroyed. It's flat, destroyed by fire. And so it was like, oh, my, my knees are getting, you know, I'm 13 years old, and or four, at that time I'm 14, and, and knees are getting weak, and I'm like, what what else is, what's happening to our family, you know? Yeah. And, um, but this is one of the, the principles, a, a turning point that, that stuck with me. Um, is that night my dad gets us all together in the kitchen and we're sitting there and, and everybody's just distraught that, you know, the family business that my dad spent 30 years building is now destroyed. The economy's terrible. Uh, you know, just all these questions. And, and, uh, my father says, he addresses the family, he says, guys, I don't know why all these things have happened to us, but we do know this. We know that God is faithful and that uh, we're going to be okay because God is faithful. And 
course, my father had no idea how that we were going to be okay. But as a young man, that's what I needed to hear. I needed to hear that we were going to be okay and that God is faithful. And so no matter what the adversity, no matter what happens to us in life, God's still faithful. And we might have to endure some things for a period of time. But in the end, we're going to be okay. And many times through the years to come, as we were going through those tough times, living hand to mouth, uh, you know, no income and just trying to survive, um, you know, we'd come to dad with some bad news about equipment breaking down as we were trying to get some things started and, and, uh, running out of credit with suppliers and so forth. And, and we'd come to him with some bad news, like, you know, the tires blew out on the semi and, you know, we don't have any credit with the tire company. And, you know, his, his common response would be say, don't worry about it. It's only money. We'll make more. Wow. <laughs> and so I guess that gives you a little picture as I go into business when I'm 19 years old about the perspective of money that, um, you know, I, I never, you know, that was a principle that my dad had carved into me that no matter what happens, if you have a lot of money or if you have a little money, it's still just money. And, um, so that, that's a, a core principle that, that was built into me and, you know, believing, you know, having the scriptures lined up and believing that we were going to, uh, you know, go into business and that I was called to go into this business. And I truly believed that in my heart. And I thought, man, I'm, and I'm set. I got an advantage here. I, I got my right priorities. I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to create wealth for the kingdom of God. Shoot, you know, I'm going to be a millionaire inside of, I don't know, maybe 12, 18 months. <laughs> and, um, you know, all those grandiose ideas. But what I didn't realize was that faith isn't faith until it's tested. Yeah. And so I had some years of testing in front of me, many failures, uh, you know, probably should have declared bankruptcy, but uh, didn't know how, so we just kept going. And uh, then in the late 80s, uh, uh, we, uh, I, I kind of stumbled into pallet recycling, and, and there became a demand for recycled pallets because of the issue with the landfills and pallets were filling up. And, and so, um, you know, one uh, divine appointment after another, suddenly I'm repairing pallets, and it's becoming a unique uh, product in the marketplace, and and uh, there was big margins at that time because not a lot of people were doing it. So even a moron could make money at it. So mm-hmm. I was I was the right guy. <laughs> that's an amazing story. I don't know. That's just it's it's you know I had chills listening to some of that, and it's it's refreshing on one end, it's scary in another, but it's so true. I mean, yeah. and um, tell me about your pillars. I was reading while you as I was looking here before the inter- before the recording. Uh-huh. The guiding principles of your business, trust, servitude, discipleship, and integrity. How did those come about, the formation of those? Um, we, uh, as as the business continued to mature, and through the 90s, early 90s, I, I began to, um, you know, I was wanting to grow the business. I had the one facility we were we were successful. We were spending less than we were making, so that's the definition of success, I guess. <laughs> and um, and so the, things were going well. But I, I was uh, one evening while I was um, walking and talking with God, and and I relate this, uh, you know, kind of like uh, Adam used to do in the garden, and then he used to walk in in the cool of the day. So the Bible says that he would walk and talk with God. 
And so I was having one of those times in the evening when the house was dark and I was just walking around and, and talking to God about the company and about what opportunities might be and so forth. And I began to create this vision in my head of this really large company and, you know, with, with a full sales staff and with, with support people and, and multiple facilities around the country. And, and um, so I'm thinking about this and I'm, you know, doing the math in my head and I'm thinking about, well, maybe I could, you know, acquire this oper- this this facility and and expand to two facilities. And I, I very quickly, as I began to do the math, I'm like, I can't get there from here, you know? And I said, God, if that's the path that you have for me, then you're going to have to open those doors up and you make it happen. All I know to do right now is just take the opportunities that I have in front of me. And so... Uh, I just continued to move in that step, you know, uh, didn't uh, make any sudden moves, but kept looking for opportunities to grow and pursued a couple avenues and they didn't work out. And so um, in 1996, uh, I was talking to a friend of mine and he was wanted to, uh, he was leaving his father's company and he was going to start his own business uh, and he wanted to get into pallet recycling in another city in Youngstown, Ohio. And we quickly realized that we were both cut from the same cloth. We had the same desire from a biblical standpoint and a, and a faith standpoint that, as far as our purpose to be in business. And so we ended up uh, getting together. I, I brought him on as a partner, and I said, you know, we, we decided that we could grow faster together than we could separately. And uh, that was Chip Treblecock. And uh, so we began to grow the business, and we added a couple facilities through the late 90s, and all of a sudden... In 2000, we kind of woke up and looked around and said, my goodness, you know, we've got 700 employees and plant managers around here that we don't even know their names and, you know, people that we don't know their names, we don't know their families, we don't know what they stand for. We have, you know, like I said, plant managers that we don't know what they're representing out there. They're doing a good job, they're making us money, but what are they representing? You know, that we need to do a, we need to kind of focus here and create a, a real vision statement and, and kind of, you know, what we expect of Millwood uh, leaders to represent us in the marketplace. And so from that discussion, we created the four pillars of Millwood, uh, Millwood which um, described as trust, servitude, discipleship, and integrity, that we were going to trust each other, we're going to trust God, and we're going to um, uh, serve each other, the whole servant leadership that... Uh, uh, if you're going to be a leader in our company, you know, we, we have to be the mindset of serving the people that are on the floor, that are actually doing the work and making the, the product that we, we sell. And um, that and the discipleship piece was was uh, the development. that At that time, late 90s, um, unemployment around the country was, was less than 4%. We, we couldn't get employees. We were growing fast. And so we had to get really creative on how we hired people and how we kept them because it was just a revolving door. People come in, they take the job, they're like, oh, this labor-intensive, you know, and they hated it. And so we, you know, began to put uh, different programs into place to develop them into becoming not only good workers but business-minded and that they would also uh, and try to put things in place that we could help them become better uh, family men as well, husbands, wives, uh, you know, spouses and um, parents and so um, you know didn't have it all figured out but that was our goal is to try to you know figure out the discipleship piece and, and to develop a 
so that when they leave us, we knew that they weren't going to stay with us forever uh, in, in many positions, but uh, if they left us, our goal was that they would leave better businessmen, better family uh, providers, and better uh, community um, uh, members of, of society. Right. And so, uh, and that, you know, of course, we would do all these things with integrity, and uh, that would be our guiding guiding principle. So that was the uh, beginning of the pillars. How do the employees respond to that type of, um, to those principles, especially about the, the discipleship piece? Do you ever get any resistance? Do you ever get any critiques or critics or anybody outside the business or even inside the business? Do they, do they say it's really none of your business? Or I mean, talk to me about that. Um, some of the challenges of of kind yeah, of yeah. When we when we talk about discipleship, you know, mainly it, it's it's uh, development made available to them. Um, you know, and it's not about um, you know, hey, if you work in this company, you got to be a Christian, or you have to go to church, or any of those kind of things. These were just the guiding principles right. that when we, when we bring people on, that says this is what we stand for, and regardless of your religious beliefs, um, you can ascribe to those principles. You know, right. it, it, Correct. Yeah. it has nothing, You know, and, and and so you know, this is what we stand for, and and if you can buy into that vision, then. You're welcome to be a member of the leadership team, and um, you know it, it, it's not about uh, you know Bible study attendance or or any of those kind of things. Because sometimes Bible studies work, and sometimes they don't, and and we don't you know some some of those happen, and some you know and you know, it's not like we're uh, mandating that uh, Bible studies happen in every facility or any of those kind of things. It's it's more of the other events of being that that influence that we stand for and making things available for their development, whether it be financial stewardship, you know, putting programs together to help them with budgets uh, at home, putting programs to, uh, together to help them uh, manage uh, dependencies, uh, whether it be theirs or their son or daughters or, or some relative that they need help with, and uh, to provide that counseling to get them through those tough times that everybody faces in um you know, in, in business or, you know, in, in life, you know, we all face those different challenges that, that happen. So, you know, I think it's great. I, you know, one of the, um, and even as a fresh up today, one of the, the most popular, I guess, pop is not the right word, the most frequent question I get or the area of the topic and it deals with uh, whether in business or life, and especially the, one of the, some of the biggest complaints I get when I, when I do coaching or when I get advice, people ask for my advice. And things I've even observed is that this, um, as leaders, we tend to think that we need to have all the answers. And it seems like when you get thrust into a leadership position, and, and I'm curious because I, I see you as this 19-year-old kind of getting thrust into this leadership role. And here you were maybe in the very beginning. You had to be the one that had to have all the answers, to have all the solutions, to create all the solutions. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about um, and, and again, I always argue that leaders need to stop when you get put in that leadership position, you need to stop looking yourself as a person with all the answers. All your answers lie outside of your office, outside your realm with all those people and all that talent that you've got out there on the plant floor or wherever. You've got to somehow tap into that. Do you believe that, number one? And if so, how did how do you create that environment at your place? Well, I certainly totally agree with you that, that you know, I think um, – Obviously, uh, you know, 
early on as 19, um, you know, I thought I had the answers, you right. know, I mean, how hard can, how hard can it be? I got this thing figured out. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, you, you make your errors and, and, uh, your blunders and everybody sees them. Okay. And I, I think that was probably one of the things that, um, I, I don't really know. I was fortunate to develop the, um, uh, not the ability, of, or it's, I, I just began. You know, when I when I failed, and I knew that I was caught. In other words, everybody was aware that well, that was stupid. You know, what were you think? Right. You know, uh, that you know, quickly admit it, quickly, and 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 voice it before they voice it. And uh, because once once I say it, uh, there's nothing more for them to say. You know. And you know that that you know just creates that relief in the in the room when when a leader admits that he made a mistake and and that he's willing to learn from it and that uh, um, and I think that I, I knew that I was short on uh, obviously education and I had to depend on others that that might uh, know more than me and and uh, quickly were looking for opportunities to delegate responsibility and with competent people and I think that that was. You know, something I've always been fortunate in from the standpoint of, uh, for example, bookkeeping and, and the, the accounting side of the business that is, is equally important to, as anything else that you do, whether it's the sales piece or the manufacturing piece, the accounting piece is usually the part that gets left, you know, gets dropped. And fortunately, I've I always had people around me that were very competent and strong in those aspects, and so it allowed me to you know, focus more on the things that I was good at and not not feel like I had to have all the answers because that's actually a principle that John Maxwell does a nice job and has taught over the years about, um, you know, focusing on your strengths that I could have spent a lot of time trying to bring get up to speed on the accounting side of the business and at best, I would have become mediocre at it. Yeah, why so, don't you get somebody, an expert around you, surround yourself yeah. with that expert? Yeah, you're right. Right, right. So, um, you know, I think that that just developing that habit of, of being quick to admit your mistakes and, and not try to hide them is, is an attribute that I think uh, sometimes gets, gets overlooked and, and we think that we have to put on this perception that we're a, a know-it-all leader and have all the answers when, in fact, everybody in your organization knows that that's not the case. Yeah, I would, it's definitely overlooked and, or, and I agree with you. I think that is one of the keys, I think, early on, especially leaders are just starting out, but, I mean, leaders at, at all experience levels, I think the, the earlier you understand that if you are courageous enough to be vulnerable and completely human from the get-go and just get rid of that, that kind of stupid perception, limiting belief that you have to be this person with all the answers, and the second, right. the second that you're vulnerable and you show them and, and you admit, like, wow, I don't know what I'm doing here, it's very mm-hmm. liberating for a team. It's very liberating for a company. It's liberating for an organization. Like you said you, you said earlier, there's almost like a collective relief in the room. Yeah. And, and, I, uh-huh. and I think that's really kind of a turning point. If you can do that, that's when you're going to start to see a lot of creativity, a lot of help, because people want to be a part of the solution. And the moment that the leader, the person at the front, you know, becomes completely vulnerable, which isn't easy to do, and that's for right. that's for relationships too. I mean, it's for anything. If you can be authentically uh-huh. courageous and be vulnerable, you're almost unstoppable, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, that yeah, well, well put. I, I agree with you. I think that that's 
you know, when, when you, um, when people realize that, hey, you actually do need my help, you know, uh, that they, they get engaged and, and you're right, that's where the creativity comes from is, is once they're engaged and, and, uh, creativity happens. So how did you get involved with Equip? Equip was, uh, one of those things that, um, in, uh, 2000, uh, John Maxwell was, came into town and was doing a, uh, a launch for a, a church and, um, a building project. And so he was the speaker and Doug Carter came, came with John and they were at that time just forming the team to, for the million leaders mandate. And, uh, Doug shared the vision and talked about, you know, developing leaders around the, the world and using business leaders as trainers. And, uh, um, they started mapping those things out. And I said, man, that sounds like something, you know, uh, I had done some, some teaching and, and of course, uh, you know, with the limited amount of success that the, the business has had, you, you gain some, some position in the, in the local marketplace and, and people want to hear more. And so, you know, you're asked to speak at breakfast or luncheons and those kind of things. And so I've done some of those kind of things and enjoyed it and enjoyed being a testimony for, you know, for the, um, faith in the marketplace. And, uh, so anyhow, they, uh, were, were launching and I said, man, that, that's certainly something I could, you know, support and would love to get involved with it. Well, and, uh, where some, where some of the places you've been, some of, some of the, that's well, been some uh, that, that first, uh, the first trip, uh, they were going to, uh, in, into Argentina with the team and, uh, doing some fact finding still. And so, uh, I was invited along and didn't realize that I was the only non-equipped member that was going on the trip. And so really got an inside look at the team and quickly realized that, uh, John had put together a, uh, an all-star team in all, uh, facets of the, of the organization. And, uh, so I, uh, signed up to be a trainer. I trained in, uh, um, Indonesia and, uh, that was my first, uh, three year commitment, uh, training in Indonesia, but I've been to, uh, Russia, the Philippines, China, um, uh, in the, oh, um, Romania and, uh, it's about all the countries that I can think of right now. But uh, pretty, pretty memorable experiences. I'm sorry. Pretty memorable experiences, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. I think the with equip, uh, you know, the the format of doing, uh, you know, six conferences over three years, uh, along right around the third conference, you really build that relationship with the uh, the attendees, and you get to know what they're you know what they're dealing with in that part of the world. Um, and you build a, um, it's, you know, they kind of get what you're saying and we of course, you know, get what they're saying and living and, and, and you really see the maturity, uh, through the Q and A times as you develop and and go through that process of training, um, build a lot of great relationships around the world. And, uh, uh, it's, um, it's amazing, you know, that equip is now in, in, you know, 170 some countries, and and uh, these these conferences are going continue to go on, and and leaders are training on on the tried and true, not John Maxwell principles, but biblical leadership principles. Right. And um, you know, John's done such a phenomenal job uh, packaging that and making it 
uh, applicable to the marketplace or or to uh, church leaders as well. What's your best advice you could give to all of us out there for aspiring leaders, people that are maybe struggling in their leadership role? What do you think? What's your best leadership advice you could give us? Well, like I said, it's not like I got it figured out, but uh, you know, I, I think the endurance is you know, if we can get comfortable with the endurance uh, and and stick around long enough, you know, to allow the um, the efforts of your labors will definitely they 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 come back to you. Um, as you endure the tough times and not to get shaken by uh, the um, adversity that comes to you because, you know, early on I used to believe, you know, as I would have, you know, three or five employees and I thought, man, I'd look at a company that had, you know, 50 employees or 20 and, and thinking, man, you know, they got momentum, they got, uh, they, they just got a lot easier than I do. And, and, and um, as the company has grown over the years, I kept pursuing that next level. And finally, at one point, I realized that there's no business utopia. You know, you never get to the point where it becomes just easy and you don't have challenges. Right. Uh, challenges still exist today, and, and no matter how big your organization gets, you're always three decisions away from bankruptcy. <laughs> so just get comfortable with it. Enjoy the ride. I like that. <laughs> I love that. How do you feel about the state of the economy as, a, as running a business? How do you feel about the future of the uh, economy in the United States and where we stand? Well, being in the pallet business, um, we uh, fortunately or unfortunately, we, we certainly are uh, have our finger on the pulse of, of uh, industry because everything moves on, on uh, and gets shipped on pallets. And so there's a good, strong baseline of activity in the marketplace today um, I believe that uh, there's so much uncertainty because of uh, Obamacare, uh, you know, and I don't want to take a political stance here that, you know, anti-anything, but that has created a huge issue from a, a cost standpoint for our company with over 1,300 employees that... Um, there's going to be major adjustments having to be made starting in, in 2014. And if, if things aren't changed, that's going to impact our people, number one, and, of course, our costing. And so just a lot of restructuring. So the smart business guys, and this is happening not just companies our size, but much, much larger than us around the world, uh, around the country, they're they're stockpiling cash and and sometimes you know you you hear on the news and they're saying well corporate America is you know sitting on record amounts of cash as if it's a bad thing and that's more of a frugal thing because of uncertainty that's what you have to do you have to build cash you know because you don't know what what your costs are going to be like and so you can't spend that hundred million dollar expansion uh, that you would normally do. Uh, if you had a, a, the right amounts of cash, you know, big companies aren't doing that those types of expansions because uh, they're sitting on the cash and, and trying to navigate through uh, future tax increases and future um, cost increases that are associated with the uh, Obamacare. So, but um, I guess you know that that's one point. Um, but overall, I believe as we endure all these things that. Um, you know, God is faithful, going back to those original principles, that uh, no matter what happens, we're going to thrive, and, and God's, God's people are going to thrive. 
in the marketplace, and we're going to be the example. And as the Bible says, you know, the world will look and they will say, you know, that the hand of God is upon them. And so that's what I rest in, <laughs> regardless of the political climate. You know, I know that the, we're, we're going to be that beacon that people can look at and say that, you know, and see the hand of God that, that's continued to protect us and guide us. Well, Steve, you're the real deal. I couldn't, uh, you know, those, those are great words of encouragement for myself, someone who watches this and studies it and frets over it myself. I mean, uh, it's guys like you, and, and I have said in this podcast many times that I think the key to the turnaround for what we're dealing with in this world is the entrepreneur, the businessman, and it's those that are principled and rooted in common sense and sound judgment. And, uh, man, you're definitely doing it. You're a true hero of mine, and thank, thanks for all that you're doing out there, Steve. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure, and uh, we'll have to we'll, uh, we'll do this again sometime. I'll bring you back on the show, maybe six months, you're down the road, and we'll see where you're at. Absolutely. Love to. Steve, thanks for coming on. You bet. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.